This is the Bob Olin Show on KDAL. And it is the 26th of September already. Good morning, Bob. Well, good morning, Dave. Remember that uh, precipitation deficit we used to have? You know, isn't it amazing <laughs> the difference one week makes? Last week we were talking about deficits. We were talking about uh, just coming into fall. We were wondering if we we're going to make up for uh, the dry period we had. We went over some weather statistics in the mm. season. And look what we got now. Maybe you could update us a little bit. Uh, where are we at, Dave? We are actually uh, 2.35 inches above normal now for the year. And we've had uh, 10 inches of rain already in the month of September, which is way above the normal, obviously. Isn't that interesting? You know, um, and the weather patterns have changed. You know, we, were, yeah. we had uh, weather and, and moisture precipitation that came in from the northwest and uh, western. Now we're, we're mm. pulling it in from the east, of course, and it's just dropping an awful lot of moisture and rain. Uh, you know, it's all good, though. We've got to yeah. replenish uh, those reserves that were down in the, uh, in the soil. Very, very interesting growing season in so many different ways. You know, what's great about having rain in the fall like this, of course, it all goes right down on the ground. We don't have to worry about runoff. Last year, very interesting phenomenon as we look at uh, back at the season. We, of course, had record snowfall, 140 inches at Duluth Airport, 140 plus, I guess. And a lot of that came in March and, and a little bit later. But uh, what that did, because uh, we didn't have any frost in the ground, it all just ran down into the soil profile, and it was sitting down there. It's kind of interesting because uh, I was aware of that, and I think more and more we're going to have to just walk where that moisture is because we may see some of these patterns. Uh, very moist uh, periods followed up by very, very dry periods. So drought was, of course, the main story for so many of our farmers, growers, gardeners, uh, during uh, the bulk of the season. In fact, uh, many of our listeners down in the Carlton County area know what that's all about. That epicenter, the worst droughty conditions were down just a little bit south of Colquay. And without uh, moisture and irrigation, those gardens didn't do much at all. Now, uh, it was interesting because we did have moisture down below. So in that, that, that particular situation, if we had perennial plants, they were able to uh, take advantage of all that moisture. They flourished. If, in fact, you planted some of your uh, crops a little deeper uh, and you went in with a sweet corn crop, maybe at two and a half inches versus an inch and a half, and that uh, there was enough moisture to germinate the seed without any rainfall, and then those roots got down into that that the portion of the soil profile where we had moisture, they took off and they grew very well without the additional moisture. So uh, what this uh, said to me a little bit is we're going to have to be more conscious of uh, the uh, moisture going forward. We're going to have to take advantage of the moisture that's in the soil, wherever it is. We have no idea what's going to come. Uh, coming into the winter, ideally, from my perspective and most perspective, we'd like to have, uh, again, that snow cover so we don't get that real deep frost penetration. It makes it a lot easier on the flooding or the lack of flooding in the spring of the year. It makes it easier on plants as the snow melt uh, incorporates all of that moisture, makes it easier on septic systems and other things. But, of course, we don't know. We don't have any idea what's coming here, and we're due for actually an open winter where we get a hard freeze yeah. uh, before we get uh, some of that snow cover date. Actually, Bob, the uh, Weather Service, I think uh, yesterday, came out with their extended outlook into the early part of winter. I think it's like November, December, and January, and they're calling for above normal temperatures and below normal precipitation for those first three months. Very interesting. Yeah. yeah. And, of course... Uh, if you're a believer in the uh, woolly caterpillars or the uh, <laughs> farmer's almanac, they're yeah. talking about 
colder and snowier than normal right. this year. So yeah, who, who are you going to believe? Coming into the <laughs> <laughs> coming into the uh, coming into the fall here to have it a little bit warmer. I think mm-hmm. I think that's just fine. And once again, the precipitation that we may get, although they're calling for drier weather, but any precipitation that we do get will get down in the uh, down in the soil, which is which is really important. Yeah. It's going to be uh, pretty interesting, you know. Uh, a lot of the predictions. We of course had a a very very mild uh, summer temperatures wise. You know, we averaged about seventy four degrees in July daytime temperatures. Now that's actually a little over a degree below normal. So we mm-hmm. the month of July was actually cooler, and June and August were just about normal. We really did not experience the extreme temperatures. So, uh, you know, a lot of the modeling has predicted the rainfall events, which we didn't get any rain, of course, until we got this event over the last weekend. And I shouldn't say any. There were many areas of listening audience where they had uh, short, brief downpours, uh, lots of I sat through one in my truck. Actually, I saw the weather build, didn't realize it was coming there, and I got hail all around me and soft hail, fortunately, so it didn't damage the plants. It was over in a half an hour, and... uh, uh, it came up out of nowhere, so we had a lot of these pop-up showers, and I think they're going to see some of this moisture regularity. Now, uh, getting back to how we're going to grow things, again, we'd rather have a nice uniform moisture level, so I think more people are going to be paying a little bit more attention, particularly if it gets dry, to um, having some some sort of uh, watering system or irrigation available and getting nice, consistent moisture. That helps the plant grow. Uh, continuously, it actually helps fruit set. It, it minimizes the possibility of blossom end rot, which we see in a lot of our tomatoes. We see it on zucchini. Uh, so I think uh, consistency of water. Water is what really drives so much of this and such of yield and productivity in your garden and out in our agricultural fields. Uh, so moisture and the uh, the availability of moisture on a consistent basis is something I think that forefront in our minds is something I'm sure thinking about for next year's growing season already Dave. All right, we got uh, well, warmer temperatures coming up this weekend. We're talking 70s again and those are going to be far and few between here as we get into the month of October. Yeah, people really want to take advantage of that. Mm-hmm. Actually, it's bringing on some of the fall crops. Uh, I think of our cauliflower crop, we've got a lot of late plantings that we kind of Kind of like the fall crop, and for any of our gardeners out there, uh, don't uh, don't abandon the fall. I mean, we've been able to bring in some nice, nice lettuce in the fall of the year when temperatures moderate a little bit. Broccoli, cauliflower, cabbage, a lot of interest in cabbage now. A lot of uh, a lot of folks having sauerkraut uh, crowding parties and other things. Uh, cabbage being a fermented product, a lot of interest in fermenting in general, and uh, there's an awareness that from that fermentation process, we're getting any number of these. Uh, kind of esoteric uh, vitamins, the vitamin K2 being the one a lot of people are talking about, but actually assisting with the uh, the availability of vitamin D and down in the human gut. And, uh, you know, we lived forever with uh, fermentation as, as actually a method of uh, food preservation before refrigeration, freezing, canning even. And uh, so fermentation and the microbiome that comes from it, uh, there's a lot of scientific work being done and a lot of attention being to that. So it's, it's pretty interesting the fact that uh, sauerkrauts uh, may become popular. It was a huge item in this area. We got a lot of cabbage. It was shipped mainly down in Chicago into the Polish community, but uh, I can recall individuals that uh, on their farms did very well with uh, growing cabbage. We could grow it in the fall of the year. There was they were big markets in some of the other communities in Chicago that kind of all went away, but it's kind of interesting how it's coming back 
in maybe more limited numbers, but uh, this awareness of the value of the fermented products and the consumption of fermented products uh, is in uh, many, many people's awareness. I've had so many people bring that to my attention recently, and I took a little look at some of the research. There's quite a bit of research in probiotics and uh, some of the uh, important vitamins that are produced by fermented foods and ultimately the consumption of it is important for uh, vitamin D absorption and the absorption of potassium and rather calcium in uh, the bones rather than the vessels and a lot of research going along in that area. So pretty fascinating stuff. We're kind of going back to the uh, some of the old ways in, in many ways, Dave. Well, I'll tell you, one of the crops that uh, really took off during this rain is my grass crop, which uh, has sprouted like crazy. I'm going to have to mow for sure now at least a couple more times. Yeah, you know, you got away. At first you had no mow May, <laughs> and right. then we had very no dry conditions, yeah. It was so dry. And now all of a sudden you could have to you could have to put that uh, lawnmower to work again a little bit. <laughs> yep, I have Good to let it dry out first before I get in there, but uh, it's going to keep growing until I get to it eventually. Uh, that's okay. Right. And you do you do if we get a chance, maybe next day we'll talk a little bit about fall lawn care. Very right. important time of the year to do a little bit of your lawn for sure. First, let's head to the phone. See, we got a phone call this morning. Hi, who's this? This is June from Carlton. Go ahead, June. You was. You were talking about all the vegetables that are coming in. Is there still any sweet corn out there to buy? Well, not that I'm aware of in our market. I think actually missed it by about a few days. I think uh, a lot of that sweet corn has gone down at this point, so we kind of have to look forward to the next season. I think most of our growers don't uh, don't have any left at this point. So we're really looking okay. at fall crops and potatoes, okay. onions, cauliflower, so forth. Let me ask you while you're on the line, were you uh, extremely dry down there in Carlton where you were? Well, at times, yes, it was. But yep. uh, we, we had just had enough rain to keep the grass growing and stuff. So. <laughs> yeah. You oh, know, that's good. Yeah, you need enough. Yeah. Um, that, that's, that's good to hear because I know there were parts of your county there that were extremely dry according to the drought maps and uh and some experience I had with growers in that area as well. So, well, we'll look forward to next year, but I think with the locally produced sweet corn crop, you're going to have to wait another uh, uh, 10, okay. 11 months to get that. Okay. Yeah. Thanks. Thank you very much. Yeah, thank you for the call. Thank you. 927, we'll take a break, Bob, and be right back. More of the Bob Olin Show on KDAL. Well, we are officially into fall, Bob, and uh, how are the fall colors looking where you are? I know there's not a whole lot of change yet downtown and by the lake, but inland, I imagine the colors are starting to pop. The colors are starting to pop, and they're magnificent. Uh, yeah. It's real interesting. You know, most people are aware of this. Uh, we talked about it before, but we, of course, got that magic pigment chlorophyll, which is responsible for really all life on Earth, because it does take... Uh, um, you know, it takes water and it takes uh, it produces oxygen, takes CO2 out of the air, produces oxygen, as well as all the sugars that we rely on and, of course, uh, all the animals and so forth that rely on as well. So that magic pigment chlorophyll uh, is the green pigment, and, of course, that masks the underlying pigment. It's kind of interesting. Uh, the um, You know, we got two big colors underneath it and then all kinds of combinations. we got the yellows which are the carotenoids, and then we've got the the reds and the purples, which are the anthocyanins, and everything is a mix of those two. Mm. And, uh, you know, the chlorophyll covers it up, and then as days get shorter and temperatures drop, the chlorophyll's a kind of an in, unstable pigment. It begins to uh, just break away, and then it reveals the underlying pigments. 
and the uh, the yellows are there all growing season, but it's kind of interesting. The, the anthocyanins really begin to form, and I won't get into some of the chemistry. It's pretty fascinating, this stuff, but uh, they begin to form later in the year, uh, late uh, August, and uh, the reds, it depends on the, the amount of sunlight that's available, and actually this year, because we had all those bright days, we didn't have any overcast days here, we got well into September, and a lot of those real vivid red pigments were setting and forming, and uh, some of the reds are really magnificent on a maple, so it's kind of interesting. The red color is uh, is basically related to uh, uh, the maple, in our area at least, the maple, cherries, and other things will set up some red color, but uh, some of the oaks do as well, but for the most part, uh, that's the maple crop. It's it's really a relatively small portion of our deciduous forest, maybe 10, 15 percent. Other places like in New England and actually places over there uh, near neck of the woods in Wisconsin, Fort mm-hmm. Bayfield, uh, there the, the percentage of maples can be very, very high, up yeah. about uh, 60, 70 percent. So you get all that tremendous vivid, vivid colors and uh Different amounts of these two pigments give you that uh, combination of reds, and which are so dynamic, as well as the uh, the different shades of orange. You, you mix uh, that red pigment with the yellow pigments, you get these deep oranges, which are really uh, really colorful. But I think uh, the display is going to be really spectacular this year because the reds are coming through because of the bright days we had. Uh, we want to come in here, and we're just approaching actually the uh, full color season. The last week in September, first mm-hmm. week or so in October is typically when we peak. It's kind of interesting. I had a trip down to the Twin Cities area, and uh, there are areas there where they actually had color before we did, and <laughs> that was a uh, probably due to the, the, the drought stress yeah. that they were experiencing, and so the lack of moisture was causing that early breakdown of some of the uh, the green pigment. So that was a little surprising because. Typically, of course, uh, that color moves from south to north as temperatures decline. But uh, this year there were pockets of very vivid color just a little bit farther south because of the droughty condi- conditions that we'll experience. Uh, nice color year coming up, uh, Dave. Leaves are, of course, going mm-hmm. to begin to fall. Uh, you really want to take advantage of this week or two here and just uh, stop and smell the roses, so to speak, because it doesn't <laughs> last long, and this year it is truly magnificent in terms of color. Yeah, it really doesn't last long, and I suppose these strong winds don't help either if the leaves are hanging on. East winds, 14 gusting to 23 now, and there will be gusty all day long, uh, gusting to 30 miles an hour right by the lake. So we're not uh, shaking the winds at this point. And, of course, into the fall now, the uh, daylight is, is shrinking too. In fact, we're about even now as we hit the autumnal equinox. 7.01 for the sun up this morning. It'll set tonight before 7 o'clock. 6.59 is your sunset tonight. Uh, yeah, it changes. Uh, it certainly changes very quickly. Yeah. You know, it's kind of interesting. Uh, the nice thing about uh, this lake effect, uh, not just in Duluth, but certainly up the North Shore, mm-hmm. uh, we've got uh, temperatures that are moderate, uh-huh. and this is one of, the, one of the triggers of color. So you can get some color over the hill, so to speak, Heading north, and uh, we've still got uh, leaves that are on, and actually that's not going to affect those leaves as much. Those winds that you talked about is a well a little bit farther away from the lake. Yeah. Uh, when that leaf is still green, you know, we don't have this. There's a corky layer that, that builds up right where that leaf attaches to the branch, and when that cork builds up, uh, then the leaf wants to wants to fall off. But as long as the chlorophyll is there, the, the tree is actually growing those corky uh, cells don't build up, so you're going to retain your leaves down near the lake, even with this one. Sadly, you're right, uh, there's quite a bit of leaf drop already over the hill, and uh, we'd like to see perfectly calm conditions, yeah. bright days, 
that would be absolutely nice for a week or two. We've had the rain we need. We're never going to be, uh, and we know what dry conditions are all about, so we're never going to really be uh, disappointed with the rain. But I think we've had enough for a little while now, and uh, keep the keep the wind down, and we're going to have some magnificent color. All right, Bob, we'll take another break, and uh, I want to talk a little bit. I know there's a news story this morning on the Minnesota News Network about a new apple that they came up with down in the, the Twin Cities at the university. It's called yes. Kudo, and I, I don't know if you've got any information on it, but we'll uh, come back and talk more about that after this break. And we are back. More of the Bob Olin Show here on a Tuesday morning. we got a phone call uh, to get to first. Uh, go ahead. Who's this? Hey, good morning. Thanks for taking my call. You bet. Say uh, two things. Uh, I called this spring uh, regarding some uh, leaks that had gone over winter, and was wondering whether I could move them apart and replant them for this year. Uh, it did work. They did start to shoot up a seed stem and uh, cut it off as per Bob, and uh, they made about a inch to inch and a quarter bulb. So that did work. Nice. And my next, or my, my actual question is regarding, I got some raspberry plants from a grower that was uh, reworking the field into those Juneberry things. Uh, anyway, I planted them, and this, this fall is their first real fall of, of they produced a large king. And I was out there the other day, and here at the very top, there's a sprig with four or five flower blossoms on each one um what happened and do i have a a different type of variety that's not a typical every other you know year any idea yeah boy is that a good that's a good question because um now when you got your your plants uh, we've got two types of, of raspberries we've got a summer bearing we've got a fall bearing raspberry now, this is characteristic of a fall-bearing raspberry, where, in fact, you get the flowers that set. Once the cane is tall enough, and where each junction where the leaves come out, we call that a, 40, a node. And when we get up to 40 nodes, anything above that that's set, the flowers begin to form. So that's very typical of a fall-bearing variety. The difficulty we've got is you've got to set fruit. You've got to get that fruit mature and ripe before the frost. So, you know, this is going to be a little bit of a challenge. Now, you know when you go back to this previous grower, was he growing fall-bearing raspberries or were they the summer-bearing varieties? Are you, you know, it was, uh, it, was, it was a local, the, uh, locally laid egg company also does berries and stuff. And yeah. it happened to come from there, which I would think that, you know, that's like Renshaw area or something like that. Yeah, that he wouldn't be doing fall berries, knowing that it's, you know, this area. Yeah, yeah. But, but no, uh, I'm not 100 percent sure. Yeah, we're not 100 percent sure because actually sometimes the fall bearing crop. Now you get the fall crop, and even if you lose that, the rest of the cane sets fruit uh, following into the next uh, June. So sometimes a commercial grower will actually plant fall bears with the intention of a very early. June crop followed up by their regular summer crop, which is a little bit later in July. So it's a little hard to tell here right now. The other thing is, with the, mo with the moisture we've had and the warmer conditions that we had, it is very possible that that, that would be your fruiting, uh, your primal cane, which is the first year's cane. The next year, typically flowers, 
And uh, it could be, and we call it a fruiting cane, a floricane at that particular point, but it may be that the weather just speeded that process up a little bit and we got uh, maturity a little bit earlier on that initial cane. Here's the thing. You don't want to worry about it at all. You probably, and uh, I would probably cut that flowering portion off. Just give them a haircut. You don't want to go too deep, but maybe you trim off the upper portion of the plant, one way or the other. It's either a summer-bearing variety or you'll get the uh, fruit from the fall-bearing variety farther down the cane. So I would definitely, in this case, uh, prune those up in the fall, take that tip off any place where you got flowering. It's not mature anyway, and you may as well focus all of the, the cane's energy on those flower buds for next year that are farther down on the cane. Okay. So we don't know. It could, it could it could just be an anomaly, unusual situation where we've got again a summer bearing variety that set fruit early, or that might actually be one of the fall bearing varieties that normally would set fruit, and that grower was looking for the early summer crop. So one way or another, it, it doesn't make a whole lot of difference. I think the prescription would be to cut uh, cut them back, prune them at this particular time in the early fall and get the energy into those remaining buds on the cane. So you're not taking the canes out. You're just giving a little haircut on the top. Okay? Right. Just clip, clip off that little little sprouting branch that has the flowers. That's right. I'd take that off, and then you might actually work your way, you know, two, three inches down the cane anyway because uh, summer-bearing varieties were now uh, following a process where we actually uh, trim them trim the tips up in the fall anyway. We, we used to do that in the spring, but now there's some research done at Nurse Farms out in Massachusetts that indicates that uh, uh, we, by trimming up in the fall, this is a June-bearing variety, just the tips now, uh, we actually focus on the development of the fruit. We're getting some higher yields because of that fall pruning process. So either way, prune them up a little bit, and I think you're going to be happy with your crop for sure. Okay, I'll report in the very spring. Inter- very interesting call. <laughs> very good. Uh, plants are very unique. They grow different ways, and, uh, and the season's unique. And I think with these changes in the weather, we can anticipate that uh, you know we're all we're all going to be experiencing things that are just a little bit in, on the unusual side. But nonetheless, with the moisture, you're going to get a good crop next year without without a doubt. All right, thanks for the call too. We're coming up on nine forty six, and we'll have more of the Bob Olin Show coming up. All right, Bob, we're back with more of the Bob Olin Show here on KDAL. And last week, uh, the University of Minnesota's Horticultural Sciences Department introduced yet another new variety of apple, this one called a kudo, K-U-D-O-S. Guess it would be a while before it's available, but uh, you know anything about this, Bob? Is it a good apple, good tasting? What's the difference, I guess, between this and the other apples? Yeah, it's just amazing. I want to take it back, take this opportunity, <laughs> give kudos to... Uh our plant, the apple from breeder down there, Dave yeah. Bedford, it's still, uh, Dave goes, uh, he's perhaps uh, my age, and he's still doing it, which is great. And, uh, you know, he was really, him and Dr. Jim Luby, got to give Jim some credit as well, but Dave is really the uh, selector and the breeder of, of so many of these apples. You know, we talk about Minnesota apples. It's not apple country. It's not really <laughs> good eating apples. Not native here. They were far too cold. We had a few crabs, and it was Peter yeah. Gideon way back in the 1800s that actually brought some apples in from from upstate New York. And uh, apples were real critical to our pioneers because uh, we don't think of it now, but it was a source of uh, food, and it was a, that 
that they could save. We talked about fermenting, but you could actually save this food source. And then it was a source of sugar. Other than honey, there really wasn't much sugar available. So apples became extremely important to the Pioneer families. And that resulted in the uh, University of Minnesota fruit breeding program uh, in station down in, in Excelsior, Minnesota, near Lake Minnetonka. And um, there's been quite an interesting history, but there are so many major apple production areas, I think, of the Pacific Northwest, Seattle, Washington, and, and now to New Zealand as everything goes international, where the, the climate is much more temperate, much more suited to apples, and yet where is the production coming from in some of the newer varieties from uh, the University of Minnesota? And we got to go right back to Dave Bedford. These apples take a long time to develop. Yeah. Kudos is uh, one of a series. It actually came from uh, Honeycrisp. Honeycrisp uh, is one of the original uh, parents of that and Zestar. So that's a cross between Zestar and Honeycrisp. We can get both Zestar and Honeycrisp. You're not going to be able to get Kudo or any of the other relatives that came from those crosses. Uh, because um, what happened to Honeycrisp, it was open and available to everybody. It spread throughout the world, but the quality uh, began to diminish as it was grown in other parts of the year of the world. So its name didn't quite retain uh, the, the quality that the universe was in, interested in. So the newer varieties are going to commercial growers, are going to the Midwest, because these were developed for the Midwest, so that they retain the quality. But from this Honeycrisp, these Honeycrisp crosses, we've got any numbers. The one, the one that come, comes to mind is Sweet Tango was one of the first introductions. Uh, Triumph is another one. First Kiss is another one that's available. So these will be available. Now Kudo will be available uh, down the road a little ways here. Kudo is a little different because it's it picked up this real beautiful red color where Honeycrisp is kind of, it's beautiful, but it has kind of a yellowish appearance. And this is a little bit more red uh, throughout, just like in your case where we've got a, you know, a, uh, a Harrelson and then a Herald Red. It says red colors that people really like, True. but but it's that red color along with those beautiful characteristics of the Honeycrisp. Uh, they kind of snap. They're sugary. They're juicy. They <laughs> they store well. So we'll, they picked up the red color with Kudo along and retained all the great properties of Honeycrisp. So that's one you're going to get in the grocery stores. You're not going to be able to buy the the uh, the trees themselves until they come off patent, which will be about 17 years away. So wow. uh, some of these others, are they're working through that 17-year schedule. We're all looking forward to the time when we can plant some sweet tangle. Many of these, however, are going to be zone four. They're not zone really zone three. So those of you that are just a little bit farther away from the lake, you're still going to be planting your Harrelsons and other things, those near the lake. Uh, we're going to open up, unless the climate does change, and that may be uh, of significance. If, in fact, the winters get a little bit milder, that will open up uh, production of so many of these other great apples. So kudos again to Dave Bedford and the team that put together um, another wonderful introduction from the University of Minnesota. And, you know, they got that byline, um, research that bears fruit. It's a good line <laughs> because that's, in fact, what has happened, and we all... Knowing Dave, he told me once if I could get one introduction in a lifetime. Well, not only did he get one introduction, mm -hmm. he managed to get uh, numerous introductions, part of a great series. I believe yeah. there have now been 29 introductions from the University of Minnesota Breeding Program that goes way back into the early 1900s. So, great new addition. We'll look for it in the grocery stores in a couple of years. Our commercial producers will, will be producing those for Anxious a while. Anxious to try those, that's for sure. Let's go to the phones again. Hi, who's this? 
uh, hi, this is Eric, and I'm calling from Duluth. And, Bob, I just gosh, I appreciate your show so much over the years. I've learned so much. My, my question is that I've got two maple trees in my backyard, and uh, uh, beautiful trees. I planted them probably 25 years ago. And over about the last four or maybe five years, they come up with just in the springtime just a couple less leaves, a couple less leaves, and I've got some branches now that appear to look as though they're dead. And, you know, all of a sudden I, I look at these trees and I go, gosh, you know, they really don't look very healthy. And I'm just wondering if you have any ideas maybe what, what could be. I don't really know what kind of maple trees they are. I mean, in the summertime, the leaves are, are green and then they turn they turn like a maroon in the fall. And uh, But but uh, could that be some sort of a funk? Well, let's, let's take a quick look and eliminate a couple of things. When you see the green leaves during the growing season, are you seeing any evidence of uh, spotting? Uh, we, we, we have some tar spot that's out there, which is kind of a black spotting. We have anthracnose, which is an area where you'd see these small little portions that begin to fall apart and decay. Are you seeing any, any evidence of that at all? Well, you know, I'm walking up to this tree right now as we speak, and I, I uh, no, I don't believe, no, you know what, Bob, I do, I do. There are some specks on them, some black stuff on them. Okay. Uh, you know, what we're going through with our maple forest, we're a little bit out of the range because we're a little far north. We're seeing what we call maple decline, and um, maples that are not on ideal sites, ideal sites would be good uh, loamy soils that drain well. And, you know, we got a lot of rocky tissue, a lot of rocky soils out there. we got a lot of bedrock and so forth. So we don't have really ideal soil conditions for maple. We're a little far north, so we're seeing... We see typically uh, what we're seeing is decline, and for some of our uh, slipping operations, they're really quite concerned about this, where you'll see decline in the upper portion of the tree. Uh, they can't really attribute it to anything. Maybe there's some issues with climate change. Uh, maybe not. Maybe there are other things that are impacting them, but it's just a general decline. And I think that uh, more than anything, you probably late in the season follow the tissue earlier in the year and, and see if we're getting any spotting earlier. Then, it, uh, you know, a fungicide might be warranted. The high value trees like that in your in your landscape, but you might just have to live with the fact that uh, we've got some of this decline going on. I would consider if you got open spot open space, uh, getting a good. They sound to me like they're red maples. Uh, or sugar maples, one or the other, but more likely a red maple. And uh, you might consider getting another younger tree planted in the best site you can find. Avoid, again, uh, rocky soils. Avoid bedrock. Uh, find the best soil you can pulse on. And uh, it might not be a bad idea to get a younger tree planted. As the trees age, they become more vulnerable to stress. And I'm, I'm assuming that this is just um, this phenomenon called maple decline that we're seeing in a lot of our maple forests along the north shore, not so much along the south shore, where in fact they have a little better soils. But I think it's the rocky uh, soils that we have on the north shore and the lack of these nice loams. So I think that's about where you're at with that one. Stay with it. Um, think about another location if you possibly can find another location to plant another one. And if you mentioned you got a couple of them as you go forward. Uh, if one looks like it's declining very quickly, that might be one you might want to take down a little, a little early if you need the space to get a new younger tree planted. 
just my thoughts. Well, okay. you're, 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 you're telling me exactly what I what I want to hear. I'm glad it's not something that, I, I mean, I'm, I, I, I guess that's, what you're saying is that's just kind of the way it is, and uh, I can live with that better than, you know, anything else. <laughs> right, and I think, you know, as I say, I look for things. Sometimes we see a lot of intractos and other things. A high-value tree might warrant the use of a fungicide just to keep it under control, but I don't think in this situation that's what you've got. I think it's just part of this decline, and then uh, going forward, enjoy them as long as you can. Uh, trim out anything that's that's dead and dying. Of course, you want to take that out. Be a little careful on the pruning, but dormant prune them, and then uh, just give them. If we get dry in the spring, I wouldn't worry about it now. We got plenty of moisture, but if we get real dry in the spring, water out along what we call the drip line, which is the kind of if you have an umbrella of the tree, you can imagine where the water would roll off. That's where the new Lip tissue is growing, so a good soaker holes out on that drip line. That's one thing that you can do that's helpful. But if we get snow melt like we had last year, I wouldn't worry about that either. Sometimes you can do more harm than good. But hey. if, if we have a very, very dry spring, don't have the moisture, have a hard winter where most of the water runs off, and a little uh, moisture in the spring of the year soaked in, uh, that's one thing you can do for the yeah. tree. Thanks much for the call. Appreciate it. Bob, we got to go say goodbye and be back again next Tuesday. Well, they went by quick. So this is today, and everyone enjoy the, the wonderful colors we have in our landscape right now. Thank Absolutely. you. Absolutely. Catch you next Tuesday. The Bob Olin Show here on KDIL. Stick around. we got news next.